The scripture this morning is Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported him to their lord all that reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your whole heart. These are our sacred stories. Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? The context of today's lection is community, chosen community, a community like covenant. We're not considering forgiveness in general this morning. We're considering forgiveness and intentional community in respectful family and committed friendships and relationships. Not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. It seems to me that Jesus is telling us that authentic forgiveness lives outside of scorekeeping beyond our ability to keep track. To bring this point home, Jesus tells a parable. Just a note here that Jesus' stories are not allegories. The whole story is an illustration of the realm of God. The characters do not stand for certain roles, like an allegory. The king, for example, is not God. At least that's what Jesus would have told. Matthew tries to turn it into an allegory with that whole ending, and we're going to ignore that because that's Matthew, not Jesus. All right. Now this story, this parable, reinforces that the kind of forgiveness Jesus calls us to is outside of scorekeeping and places it into the realm of the incalculable. The forgiveness to which Jesus points is beyond the capacity to keep tabs. It's grace. Like so many of Jesus' parables, this one trades in hyperbole. A servant owes a king 10,000 talents. One talent is about 6,000 denarii, give or take, 
with one denarius being worth a day's wage for a day laborer. So this servant owes about 60 million denarii, an amount so large that it exceeds the national debt of a small country. No person could repay it. It is an outrageous act of generosity and mercy. The king enacts with this gracious forgiveness of an unimaginable debt. The second servant owes a hundred denarii. It's a decent amount of money, but it's measurable, and compared to what the first servant owed the king, it's practically nothing. The forgiven servant does not forgive the debt owed to him, and the parable does not explain the servant's refusal to forgive, and I'm not sure it matters. Let's return to the beginning of the parable. Jesus said to Peter, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. The realm of God is like the king who forgives beyond comprehension, beyond measure, beyond expectation. The realm of God is like grace, offered above what we can imagine. The realm of God is grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus is upending the basic structures of how we negotiate relationships. We are much more comfortable with keeping score, with quid pro quo, with quantifiable transactions. This familiar way of doing relationships is certainly not new to our time. By the time we get to the early churches, some 100 years after the death of Jesus and the time that Matthew would be writing, transactional relationships were the norm. Part of this shift was due to the influence of Greek and Roman ideologies, theologies, and practices. Perhaps the greatest contribution to relationships becoming more transactional was the rise of the patronage system. As Igor Lorenzen writes, the entire Roman system was set up as a patronal network with the emperor at the top of the pyramid. The patron in a patronage system used his clients for the purposes of increasing his own wealth and prestige. This means the patron would only accept a client as a client, a person who would benefit him. The client might receive some benefit or reward from the patron like food, financial aid, protection, but this was in return for services. The client was obliged to enhance the prestige, reputation, and honor of the patron. The patron-client relationship was one of exchange, always, always with the expectation of return. Patronage is not hospitality. It is not grace. It is scorekeeping. It is built on prescribed reciprocity. It is the embodiment of quid pro quo. You unload the dishwasher, I take out the trash. Patronage expects recompense for every act of kindness or generosity. 
This is a system of exchange with little to no room for grace. And we know full well that the ideas of patronage remain alive and well. The expectation of return, the tit for tat, are all still with us. Just consider recent conversations around forgiving college debt. One would think anyone having read today's parable or the prodigal son or the parables about the workers in the vineyard or anyone who prays with Jesus, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, would welcome such generosity, such potential liberation. But perhaps the ideas of patronage are too ingrained. Ideas about reciprocity and what is owed and to whom, both then and now, are part of culture, part of the way we live and do. And so Jesus calls us again and again to be counter-cultural, to move out of systems of reciprocity, to invite the poor, the crippled, the ill to our banquet, to the very ones who cannot possibly repay us. I know we're talking about forgiveness and I keep bringing up grace Moving outside of what is owed and to whom is grace. 77 times is grace. Can there be forgiveness without grace? If anyone tells you that getting a tattoo doesn't hurt, they're lying to you. As Jimmy Buffett, may God rest his soul, noted so well, hell yes, it hurts. I have one tattoo. It's on my left wrist, typically under my watch band, and you wouldn't notice it anyway because it's white ink. It says grace and has a palm branch. Grace, it's my mother's middle name, my grandmother's name, my great-grandmother's middle name. But there's so much more to grace than a name. U2 has a song called Grace. It includes these words. Grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Grace finds goodness in everything. Grace travels outside of karma. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace travels outside of karma, outside of quid pro quo. It's grace that enables us to forgive and forgive again out of abundance and compassion. My friends, I don't know about you, but so often the grace for forgiveness that I need is for myself. I carry around the wrongs done, done to me and the wrongs I have done. Sometimes I take them out at 3 a.m. and rehearse them. Forgiveness invites us to put it down, to do what we need to do. When we need to forgive, we name the hurt with the expectation of being heard and respected. We invite a restoration of relationship. We forgive. We release any need for retribution. And when we need to be forgiven, 
We hear the hurt staying away from defensiveness, owning our part, at the very least offering what, what ways we can be helpful. Hopefully we ask for forgiveness. We work to forgive ourselves. And then we put it down. We surround ourselves with grace upon grace upon grace, and we put it down. We put down the hurt. We put down our mistakes. We put down the pain. We put down the desire for retribution. And we probably need to do this again and again. The Greek word for forgive in these verses is aphazo. And it does mean forgive, absolutely. It also means pardon, remit, cancel. And the same word, aphazo, means to leave, to abandon, dismiss. So it is this word that we hear in Matthew 6 as part of the prayer that Jesus taught us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it's the same word we hear in Matthew 18. If a man having a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave a phaso, the 99, and go after the one? It's also the word we hear in John 14. I will not leave you orphans. I'm coming for you. Forgive and leave the same word. It was after we'd made our way around an enormous puddle on the Camino. Actually, it was more like a pond. We scaled a stone fence to one side to try and skirt the water. Once we made it to the other side, Tanya mentioned that the experience made her think of a story. She then shared the story with us. A senior monk and a junior monk were traveling together. At one point, they came to a river with a strong current. As the monks were preparing to cross the river, they saw a woman also attempting to cross. The woman asked if they could help her to get across to the other side. The woman had many packages. The two monks glanced at one another, and then without a word, the older monk picked up the woman, and the younger monk gathered all the packages. As they were crossing the river, the woman complained and groused without stopping, worried about her packages, afraid the monk would drop her, convinced the monks weren't doing a good job. The monks carried her and her packages across the river, placed her gently on the other side, and returned her packages to her. The monks then proceeded on their journey. They walked for an hour and then two they walked another hour, and then finally the younger monk burst out. I cannot believe that woman was so rude. We carried her across the river. She did not get wet at all. None of her packages got wet. We were soaked through, but she stayed perfectly dry. And all she did was complain the whole time. How could she be so inconsiderate? She didn't even thank us. The older monk waited until the younger finished and then gently replied, Brother, I sat her down on the other side of the river. Why are you still carrying her? Put it down. Put it down. How many times? Oh, at least 77. Forgive be forgiven and put it down. 
This is the invitation. This is the path of peace. This is grace. Amen.